We end our sermon series um, in the book of Colossians. It's a, a, we've been in this letter for, I, I don't know how, for a number of months now. But if you can, if you've been here for the last few months, <coughs> if you cast your mind back to the start of the sermon series, you'll remember, I'm sure, <coughs> that one of the very first themes that we looked at in Colossians was the theme of loyalty. You know, Paul has heard from Epaphras that, remember, false teaching is infiltrating the life of this congregation in Colossae. So part of the reason that he writes this letter, part of what's going on here, is Paul encouraging them to be loyal. You know, loyal to Epaphras, loyal in some ways to Paul, loyal to this gospel that they've heard, loyal to Jesus Christ. Well, as Paul ends this letter here, you can kind of see, can't you, that that's the sort of theme that he's returning to again. Like, I was one one commentator this week on this, and he said about these verses that you and I are going to look at here, he said this, he said, compared to all of Paul's other epistles that he's written, these verses here are unusually rich in personal warmth and personal messages, personal affection, personal greetings. Now, hang on. Like, do you see why that, that is? Paul knows that in order to fight off this threat of the false teaching in Colossae, he knows that the church of Jesus Christ has to stand united. So here, what we've got in front of us, in all of these kind of names, you know, in all of these greetings we've got in these verses, do you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to strengthen love. In all these greetings that he's bringing to the Colossians, he's trying to strengthen and reinforce the bonds that exist between the Christians. Reinforcing the bonds between him and the Colossians and between them and other groups of Christians. This is about, this year, this is about strengthening Christian love. And I tell you this, when we realize that that is what Paul is up to here, suddenly, what seems like, on first reading, just a kind of winding down of the letter, when we realize this is about strength and Christian love, this suddenly it becomes immensely relevant to you and me in this room and to the life of London City Presbyterian Church. Because look at us. You know, different ages, different backgrounds, various different ideas from different continents of the world. And here's the truth. Sometimes we find it very difficult to love each other. Sometimes we really, really struggle with with Christian unity. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Paul tries here to reinforce these Christian bonds. And we are going to take that into the life of our congregation. I hear this. Not so that we can become better friends. (laughs) No. So that we might better honor the Lord Jesus Christ in this congregation. So let's make a start. Please have Colossians 4 open in front of you. <clears throat> let's consider the first of a, a, a few points tonight. Let's consider that to strengthen Christian love, we need to open our lives. So I'll say that again. To strengthen Christian love, we need to open our lives. Now you know the drill 
every, every Sunday before we study any verses of Scripture, either Paul or myself or maybe Gabriel will sort of maybe come up the front and will read publicly uh, God's Word. Every Sunday, that's what goes down. That's how we do it. Well, what you've got to understand, of course, is that <coughs> when the Colossians received this letter, that's what would have happened. You know, they received this letter and somebody in that congregation would have got up and they, in front of that whole church in Colossae, they would have read Paul's letter. Now, what Paul's doing in this first section that you've got from verse 7 What he's doing is letting the Colossians know who these guys are that have just arrived with this letter. So Tychicus, if that's how we're pronouncing it tonight, I don't know, and Onesimus, they've arrived. And Paul in this section is is telling them, you know, telling the Colossians who these guys are that have just arrived with this letter. Now look what he says. Like he, he, he speaks about these guys in glowing terms. But really, look at this. It is why... It's why he has sent them in particular that I want you to see. Because, look at, I mean, God's really underlined this. I mean, three times between verses 7 and verse 9, Paul says, look, I've sent these men to you to pass on news about myself. Now, have you got your Bible there? Look at verse 7. He says, Tychicus is going to tell you news about me. You've got that. Then look at verse 8. I've sent sent these guys. Look, what's the express purpose? I've sent them with the express purpose that you might know about our circumstances. Then in verse 9, he says of Onesimus, I'm going to tell you everything. He's going to tell you everything that is happening here. Like, do you see what Paul is up to in that? Like, Paul knows that if love is going to grow between these Christians. He knows that if he is going to be able to cement this relationship with the Colossians, he knows that there has to be a sharing of information. That if bonds are going to be established between himself and those Christians in that place, that what he is going to have to do is he's going to have to open up all the details of his life and all the circumstances of the gospel surrounding him. Those things are going to have to be opened up and he's going to have to take them and he's going to have to be willing to share them with the Colossians. I ask you, do you see how that relates to the life of London City Presbyterian Church? See, I, th- I think if, if we're honest, it's probably quite common if for believers to come into London City Presbyterian Church from other parts of the world and to be disheartened by our British reserve. You know, our British restraint. You know, maybe people come into the life of this congregation from other parts of the world and they're maybe used to... Uh, pouring out details of their lives and they're used to sharing aspects of their struggles and they come here and they get from me and from other uh, Christians, you know, a sort of tight upper lip and uh, a bit of a sort of private faith. Now, I'm not for a second, don't get me wrong, I'm not for a second saying that we should publicly stand up and pour out every detail of our sinfulness and our struggles. But do you see from this that being aloof In the life of a congregation, it is incompatible with a Christian faith. That being disconnected 
that being distant in, 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 with your brothers and sisters is incompatible with Christian unity. And, and we don't like that. I know we find this very, very hard. But what we're seeing here from Paul is that to grow relationships and to show the world a united church, that we should be willing to speak about our lives, to speak about our struggles with sin, to speak about, most importantly, our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we open our lives. Secondly, to strengthen Christian love, we show hospitality. Okay, so you you get where we are. Verse 7 Paul is telling the Colossians who these dudes are that have arrived with the letter. We get it, okay? Then from verse 10, have a look. He starts from verse 10 to bring greetings from the other Christians that were with him in Rome at the time. He's bringing greetings. Bring, and as some of the Americans here would say, let's do the math. With this, you have got six guys that are mentioned who bring Greeks. Okay, you've got three Jews and you've got three Greeks. Now let's just deal with the Jews here, first of all. And do you see the coincidence if you were here this morning? Look at verse 10. <laughs> Look at the first name in verse 10, Aristarchus. You know who that is? Remembering? It's a guy from this morning. Remember the guy who was grabbed by the mob and was dragged into the theater? kicking and screaming, if you like. Aristarchus, that's, that's him. Who else have we got? We've got Mark, and we've got Jesus Justice, who's only mentioned here in Scripture. Now, look at this. Look, it is the specific instruction that Paul gives the Colossians about Mark that I want you just to notice. So if you look at verse 10, look at the instruction, the special instruction in verse 10. What does he say? He says to, says to them, if Mark comes to you, welcome him. Now, what you might not pick up straight away is that the idea that that the word for welcome there, welcome this guy, Mark, is a really strong word, okay? It is not the idea that, oh, if Mark comes into your congregation, you know, give him a high five or say hi or make sure he's got a psalm book or something like that. It's, It's not like that. I mean, it's a really strong, it's the same word used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, Where Jesus says, if you receive me, or the people who receive you rather, they receive me, they welcome me. Is that sort of level of genuine, deep-rooted hospitality that, that Paul is calling for here? So again, do you see what he's doing? Paul knows that one of the most effective ways of bringing Christians together is if people will show hospitality. So he's encouraging the Colossians not only to open up their lives, but to open up their homes. And again, I ask you, do you see how that works for us in here? Hospitality should be absolutely extensive in a congregation the size of London City Presbyterian Church. But I have to ask you tonight, is it? Are you involved in welcoming believers? And you say, well, I'm just visiting the congregation and I'm only here for a, you know, a short, 
are you at the forefront of receiving believers, people into the life of this church? To receiving people into your home, are you? But wait a second here. Look at this. Look at, look at the text again. Do you see who it is that Paul is asking hospitality for? Come on, people. Do you see who it is? It's Mark. Are you with me yet? Do you see what that means? Come on. We've just gone all the way through the book of Acts. Who's that? It's the guy who let Paul down, isn't it? Remember, we looked at this just a few weeks ago. It's that Mark. It's the guy who's abandoned Paul in that first missionary journey. It's the guy that's left Paul in the lurch. It's the guy that's caused that huge big disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. It's that Mark. Do you see the lesson? We are not just to be showing hospitality. We are supposed to be showing hospitality to the unlikely to the undesirable people, to the people who have strayed. We are supposed to be showing hospitality to the people who have let other people down. If we do that, then the church shows the world a bigger and a brighter picture of Christ-centered love. So we open our lives, we show hospitality. Thirdly, to strengthen Christian love, we pray together okay so we're moving in we're seeing that there are six guys who have bring bringing greetings to the colossians we've seen the three jews <coughs> do me the favor of looking at the three gentiles that we've got here who are the three gentiles you've got luke so we know who he is the author of acts we've got demas who were later told backslides from the christian faith But most of the material here is given over to the guy. Do you see who it is? To Epaphras. Now, if you've been here for the sermon series, you know who Epaphras is, don't you? Epaphras is the guy who has taken the gospel to the Colossians. And again, are you not kind of, people, are you not kind of amazed by the the parallels again with this morning? Because do you know what? When you put all the pieces of the jigsaw together, do you you know what seems to have happened? You know, we're talking this morning about lots of people being being transformed by the gospel from Ephesus. Epaphras is one of those guys. Like what's happened, it seems, is that Epaphras has gone from Colossae and he's gone into Ephesus. Now, can you imagine it? Like he's probably been in that lecture hall of Tyrannus. And he's heard Paul get up in that lecture hall and proclaim the good news. And he has been saved. He has heard that. He's been transformed to Paphras. And he's taken that news of salvation in Christ and he's taken it back to, to Colossae. Isn't it lovely? The crossover. But it is what we are told about Epaphras here. I want you to see. Look at verse 12. It says that Paul says that Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for the Colossians. Look, do you see how clever Paul is being there? He knows, and, and correct me if I'm wrong later, he knows that it is the most beautiful thing when you hear that another Christian is praying for you, isn't it? 
I mean, Paul knows that it is the most affecting and glorious thing to hear that our brother and sister in Christ is wrestling with, with their father in prayer for, for your soul and your situation. He knows that is beautiful. So what does he do? To strengthen the Christian bonds, he tells the Colossians that's exactly what Epaphras is doing for them. But there's something else. Um, our Kirk session, the church here, uh, we're mixing it up. You know, uh, Kirk sessions can, or sorry, courts of the church can be pretty dry. If, I'm sure that comes as no surprise to, 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 to many of you. But, you know, it can be a case that you get the guys together and you just try and get through the, the agenda points uh, in rapid time. But we're trying to shake it up a little bit in the Kirk session. Time before last, we've agreed to meet, just to meet to pray. Agenda, we'll leave for another time and we'll just pray. And we'll pray about the life and the people in the congregation. Okay? Group of guys getting together to pray. I want you to see that that is the picture behind Colossians. Because what we've got to see here is that when prayer is mentioned in Colossians, very often it is mentioned in the plural. So it's not, Paul doesn't say very often, I am praying for you guys. Chapter 1, verse 3, it's, no, we are are, are praying for you. We're meeting to pray for you. And then verse 9 again, it's, no, I'm not praying. We are, so do you see the picture? You've got Timothy and you've got Epaphras and you've got Paul and they're meeting in a room somewhere. And they're meeting to pray for these people. They are on bended knee. And it is the result of that that I want you to notice here. Because look what is said of Epaphras in verse 12. I've said it says that he is wrestling in prayer. But do you know in the original what it is? Listen to this. Because it should ring some bells. It's not wrestling. In the original it is Epaphras is struggling for you, Colossians. He's struggling. for. Does that ring bells? Do you remember what Paul said of himself? At the beginning of chapter 2, he said, I, I want you to know how much I, Paul, am struggling for you. It's the same thing. The same thing is said of Paul as is of Epaphras. They note the content of Epaphras' prayer in verse 12. Struggling in prayer that you might stand firm, that you might be mature. Does that ring bells? What did Paul say in chapter 2, verse 2? He said, I am struggling for you that you might come to a complete understanding. It's exactly the same thing. Do you see the point? The effect of Paul and Epaphras praying together has been to so wed these guys together that they are of one mind. They're praying together. So now they are thinking the same way. They're praying together. So now they have the the same gospel vision. They are praying together. So now they have the same concern for other believers. And the lesson could not be any more fundamental for this congregation this year. We have to face facts. We are different. We have different political ideas in this congregation. Massively different. And we have got different backgrounds. 
and we have got very different jobs and, and different social scenes. And really, longer that I'm here, the more I realize the only thing that we have in common is the fact that Christ has spilt his blood for us. Now you hear this. We will very quickly lose sight of that beautiful, unifying bond if we are not meeting together to pray. All of our differences, they dissipate when we are before the throne of grace. All of our differences, they just dissolve when we are kneeling next to each other before the throne of grace. So like Paul, and like Epaphras, friends, we need to pray together so that we are bonded together in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we open our lives, we show hospitality, we pray together. Fourthly, to strengthen Christian love, we care about other Christian relationships. Other Christian relationships. Um, one of the most famous films of my youth was the uh, what would it be 1984 film The Karate Kid amazing uh, and the standout scene from The Karate Kid uh, there's many to choose from I know but the standout scene was the sort of wax on wax off moment that you had in the, in the film where you've got the, the old sort of karate guru, Mr. Miyagi, and he has got his young apprentice to clean his car and to spend hour after hour waxing his car. And the young apprentice is kind of annoyed by this. You know, he's supposed to be learning karate. And here he is, just being told to sort of wax on, wax off. And he's very, very annoyed. And then, of course, eh, it materializes that Mr. Miyagi had an ulterior motive, didn't he? That actually in getting him to wax on and wax off, he was teaching his young apprentice, Danielson, he was teaching him uh, this karate move, a fundamental karate move. He had an ulterior motive. And I think there's something like that happening here in Colossians 4. Because look at right at the end of this letter, Paul asks the Colossians to do something for him. Now, yes, okay, he tells them to swap letters with the Laodiceans. He's written another letter to them, the Laodiceans, and he's saying to the Colossians, right, okay, you read their letter, and they'll read your letter. So you've got that part of it. But then look at verse 15. This is unusual. It is unusual, and we could pass by it. He tells the Colossians to pass on his greeting to the Laodicean church. You see how strange that is? We don't have Paul's letter to the Laodiceans. But if that letter is anything like any other letter that Paul has ever written, the letter already has, at the beginning and the end of that letter, Paul's extensive greeting to that congregation. He has already thoroughly greeted them. So you can imagine this letter being read out to the Colossian church and the Colossians are scratching their heads thinking, what's he asking us to do that for? 
Why? He's already greeted the Laodiceans. Why would we have to do this? And then the penny drops, doesn't it? We see Paul's ulterior motive. By Paul getting the Colossians to go and pass on his greetings to the Laodiceans, what is he doing? He knows that there's going to be more communication between those churches. He knows that there's going to be more contact between those churches. Do you see what he's doing? He's strengthening their relationship. Paul is a man who cares about not only his own, but he cares about other Christian relationships. And friends, I want you to hear this, and I want you to think about what we've got here, because let me say this to you. There is a great and sickening irony about what we are talking about tonight. We can be so self-centered when we think and talk about Christian unity, can't we? We think about Christian unity and it's about ourselves. We think about Christian unity, we think about, okay, our friendships and we think about our relationships and we think about church being comfortable for us. Well, here this, we need to be much more like this. We need to be more like Paul. We need to facilitate these things. We need to pray that like with the Colossians and the Laodiceans, that we are seeing other relationships in this church, in this congregation, other relationships flourishing because heed it. Unity, Christian unity, is not about us. Christian unity is about Christ. So we should be concerned with ourselves. We should be concerned with the church at large. And then last, fifth, last point. To strengthen Christian love, we need to keep the goal in focus. The goal in focus. I've got a problem with my sermon eh, tonight. And some of you say, only one problem with your sermon tonight. But I've got a problem with my sermon tonight. The problem is that some of these things could be said of a social club. You know, I want better relationships in my golf club. Okay, you open your life. And you show more hospitality. Hmm? But this isn't a social club. is isn't a social club. This is the church of Jesus Christ. So why here is unity? Why in the church is unity so important? Well, what you might not have noticed, but what would have been abundantly obvious to the Colossians as this was read out, is that in those last words, Paul is returning to his main theme of the letter. Now, do you remember what the main theme of the letter is? Like, he's heard that there's false teaching, these false teachers in Colossae, and they're saying, people, we will give you spiritual fullness. Fullness. You remember it? If you've been here, you know, if you, if you have these visions that we are having, if you do these weird practices that we are advocating, you will have spiritual fullness. And Paul, throughout this letter, has been saying, no, fullness is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as he writes these last words, look at it. He uses the buzzword of Colossians. 
He says in verse 12, in Epaphras' prayer, he says that Epaphras is praying for you to be fully assured. It's the word, it's the fullness word, fully assured in advance of the coming of Christ. And I think in that we see Paul's ultimate concern. He is going to such lengths here in these greetings to encourage stronger bonds. Because he knows that Christian unity not only portrays the gospel. Christian unity protects the gospel. He knows that by love existing between the Colossians and the Laodiceans, between his Christian friends in Rome and the Colossians, he knows that there is much less chance of the devil getting a foothold in the church. He knows that if Christians love each other, there is much less chance of heresy and false teaching coming in that church. He knows that if Christians love each other, there is less chance of this gospel, this beautiful gospel that we have being diluted. And that is why he is banging this drum. And so I say to you tonight, this is important. See me standing up here and these these five things. This isn't just stuff to make our lives easier in this church. This is about us loving each other for the gospel. Because at the end of the day, we want the same thing as Paul. Don't we? Don't we? We want the world to see that Jesus Christ is everything. We want the world to understand that he is the image of the invisible God. We want the world to understand that he is where the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. We want the world to see that in him we've everything. That there is neither Jew nor Greek or slave or free. We want the world to understand that that he is exalted over what is it? Creation. He is exalted over the church. That in him we will one day stand next to him and stand next to him in glory. So friends, I say this as a close. We have to prize Christian unity. In fact, we have to work very, very hard in this congregation at Christian unity. Why? So that the world might see through the church that God has in Christ. What's the last word of the sermon series going to be? That the world might see through the church, that God has Christ's supremacy. Let's pray.